0: The Lord our God consecrates us, he makes us holy by the reading of his word. We have three readings. The first, and it will be, you'll, be, you'll want to stay on this page because we'll be going through this in the sermon. Number one, Philippians 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, or the bishops, which is a synonym for elders and deacons. And then 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, I hope to come to you soon, writes Paul to minister Timothy, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was, or in some versions have God, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, or justified by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory." And the new covenant reading Ephesians one verses thirteen to twenty three, um, brothers and sisters, never ever lose your amazement at this. This is an example of a passage in the scripture that you you know did not come from the the feeble mind of a, of a mere mortal. This is clearly something only God Himself would declare through His servants. In Him, that is in Christ, you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, he is the down payment of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Congregation, the grass does wither and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever, to which you say, Hallelujah. And thanks be to God, our Lord Jesus, you said (coughs) that you would build your church. Use this message to that end. Amen. Please be seated. I would urge you again to turn to page 5, because we will be going through these texts. It's very easy to make either too much or too little of the church. In the time of the Protestant Reformation, which followed the so-called Middle Ages, way too much was made of the church, the so-called Catholic church, Roman church. Basically, the church was your savior, and that was making an idol out of the church, And then the Reformation comes along, and there was still a very, very high regard for the Church. And while all the good things that came from the Reformation, we began to see a fragmentation of so-called Protestants, and uh, denominations began to form, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, and so on. And to be very honest, there was a certain amount of tribalism here. Uh, where denominations claimed people for themselves and prided themselves on their church government or their view of the sacraments or whatever, that made too much out of the church as well. And so you, you have that, that that has that has happened within, within um, Protestantism and Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and that may be, frankly, one of the reasons why people have the opposite problem, which is making too little of the church and that's what's true in our culture not just making too little of the church but making way way too little of the church and and there's seeds of that Uh, we're a culture that that has used the language among evangelicals those that, that believe the bible jesus is my personal savior and he does save us individually but if it stops there, there's something wrong. Jesus, Jesus ransomed a church, and he's building a church. And, and that exclusive language, Jesus is my personal Savior, tends to neuter that. And then you, 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 you uh, water that with the seeds of American individualism, uh, where, where the rights and freedoms of the individual are hallowed in our land, and there's not wrong in that. But you take that mindset and wed it to Jesus as my personal Savior, and then, without seeds and without watering, you add the soil and the fertilizer of a two-year lockdown of churches. When people may have live-streamed, Uh, They stopped going to churches, and that's still wreaking havoc in a culture that already had a very low, low view of the church. What What is understood as an exception, live streaming, has become the norm. And be honest, it's very, very easy when you're live streaming. Nobody sees you. Nobody knows that you're there. And after a while, the live streaming falls off. This is not... A good day for the church in in our land so hence we have these texts that are before us And, and incidentally that that view of church that is that is very individualistic you can't read your new testament like you can't really read a page of your new testament without seeing that that the rich use of church as community are really are neutered by that individualism. But anyway, that, that's for another day. Today, we're in the, stand, we're in the series, Here We Stand. And uh, here we stand, and, and I wrestle with the title. Of the, your bulletin was done almost two weeks ago, so the printer can have some time off for Thanksgiving. And so originally, it was Why Church? It was going to be something simple to put on the sign out there. And then as I began working on it more, I thought, you know, a better title for the sermon is I Love the Church. But the more I worked on it, particularly when I came to the very end of Ephesians 1 and verses 13 through 23, I thought, really, the better title for this message is Amazing Church. Look at those last two verses in Ephesians 1, very bottom of page 5. He, that is the Father, put all things under Jesus' feet. All things, all things meaning evil angels, good angels, all kings, everything, all things means all things, under his feet, and gave him as head over all things, literally for the sake of the church. And if that's not marvelous enough or amazing enough, which is his body, the fullness of him. Who fills all in all? Wow, that—that's amazing, church, right there. So here's where we, since since the since the Lord Himself calls the church the body of which Christ is the head. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the church. Number one, as a snapshot. Now, Philippians one and verse one is a snapshot picture of the church, and then number two, as a full body scan. And the text in 1 Timothy 3 is really a a full-body scan, at least the first part of it is. And then the EKG, what is the heart of the matter, Okay, the electrocardiogram, the heart, the dynamic of the church. So let's look at the body of the church, number one, in a snapshot form. Paul and Timothy, Philippians 1 and verse 1, servants of Christ. And remember that ministers are servants of Christ to the people. To all, now watch, the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Philippi was the northern part of Greece. With the overseers, or with the bishops, synonym for the elders, and deacons. Now, now there's, there's your snapshot of the church. And so you go to Philippi. And uh, there may have been smaller house churches, or there may have been a gathering at one place, we don't know. But, but in that body that gathered together, number one, you have saints in Christ Jesus. And a saint is someone who was marked out by baptism. Baptism doesn't make a saint, but it marks a saint. And that marks you out, a saint is someone who is separate from the rest of the world. Okay, So they are baptized ones, but they are in Christ Jesus. Baptism marks that a person is in Christ Jesus, but you come into Christ Jesus by grace through faith. And you may have that faith from the way you were nurtured from the cradle. You may have that faith as you get older. But however you put it, saints in Christ Jesus is another term for those marked out by baptism who are believing in the Lord Jesus. So when you see the snapshot of the church at Philippi, that gathered body, they are baptized ones who say, I believe in Jesus. Okay, So, th- so that's the first part of the snapshot, but it's together with, they're part of this body in Philippi. It's not a group over it. Part of that body are bishops. And the word bishop or episkopos, Again, synonym for elder. Bishop describes the work. These, these are people who look out over the congregation. They, they watch, not Snoops, it's not Gestapo, but the church, as you're going to find out, is to be regulated by the Word of God. And the and the, the bishops or the overseers are watching to be sure that the individual lives and the corporate life is in accordance with the Scriptures. So that's their work. And I don't know if they would have had particular clothing, but within the church there were were the overseers and the deacons. And that is a remarkable statement, because a deacon was a waiter on tables. And that was regarded as a very menial occupation. Uh, But why deacons in the church? Well, it's because they're representing the great deacon is really the substance of all of this, the Lord Jesus. But these are people who are set apart to serve others in, in what we call temporalities. They are, In our case, it would be the building, but in most cases, it's going to be dealing with the widows and the orphans and the needy in their midst. They are servants to the servants of God in the church. So that's the snapshot in Philippi, in a particular location, a local church, all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi with the overseers, and deacons. And this group isn't perfect, folks. As I mentioned to Joe and Linda today, they're pilgrims. They're pilgrims on the way, and they're helping one another. And and why why is this important? All cultures must have some orderly society. Sometimes when you look at our culture, I think of Genesis 1 and verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the earth. It's kind of what you see in a chaotic society. But the Lord building what really is a colony of heaven has this group of saints who are not perfect, but they do have overseers who watch over their lives in the corporate life, and they have needs, hence they have deacons that serve them. And it's an orderly society. It's a beautiful thing, a really, it's meant to be a beautiful thing in our culture. When, when you read of churches in which congregational meetings are local church equivalents of a civil war, that's exactly the opposite of, of what's in view here. Okay, so that's the snapshot. Okay, Philippians 1. And you say, well, it's not particularly amazing. Well, let's, let's look at the second part, okay? Let's look at the full body scan, which as you drop down a bit, 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul, writing to Timothy, he's written about, he's written about prayer, he's written about uh, the, the the qualifications for these elders, bishops, and deacons. He's written about the role of men and women in the church. And Paul says, I hope to come to you soon but i am writing these things to you to you so that if i delay you may literally know how you ought to behave in church that's that's what it says how you ought to behave in notice the three terms of the full body scan household of god which is the church of the living god pillar and buttress or better word is ground of the truth that's the the full body scan and, and, and what you're really seeing here is what is the special work of god in the world because the heart of this is god himself it's the household of god in which you ought to behave it's the it's the church of the living god that is a pillar and ground of the truth so if you're wanting to see the special work that god is doing in the world you are meant to look to the church so let's look at the full body scan look at the different parts number one The church is a house, or if you will, it is a family. It's the household of God. And we don't take this as seriously as we should. I am a church member. You're a brother or a sister in Christ, or you are a mother and father in Christ. As you get older... Uh, then uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to say, Margaret and I are mother or father in the Lord to others. And we mean that. Or to say, You're my, my son, you're, you're my son or my daughter in the Lord. Now, that is the way the scriptures speak. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and, and calls him his child in the faith. Uh, the Apostle says, and, and how change would come, treat the older men as fathers, the older, he doesn't say old, older women as mothers, the, the younger women as sisters, and implied the younger men as sons. Yeah, he means that. Or when it comes to widows, if widows don't have children who provide for them, the widow becomes the church's widow in providing for me that's that's taking the church pretty seriously as the family or as the household of God and so this is how the church displays God's adopting work in the world he adopts us through Christ and we literally become that and must focus on that if you want a, a simple phrase that that is a beautiful one the church is your forever family it's not all your family, but it's, it, it is your forever family. You're going to be with them. Or, my favorite, the church is a halfway house to heaven. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so if you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, quite frankly, why do you not want to be part of the church on earth, which is the household of God? All right, So, so the church is a house, or it is a family, it's Second, it's, it's a called-out one. It's, it's the church of the living God. Church, again, they're called out, they're marked out as saints, they're part of a body, they're called out. And, and see, this is not folks staying in your home. This, this is if you're called out, unless you're providentially hindered, you're with God's people when you're called out. So it is a called-out church of the living God. And as you've heard me say over and over again, the church isn't a funeral home, folks. And perhaps one of the reasons why people can get upset when you say the church isn't a funeral home is because a lot of churches are funeral homes. People are very formal, very nice. Music is very somber. The God, you definitely don't want to laugh in a funeral home. Certainly don't want to do that. And um, now the church, folks, is a full service hospital. Uh, I hope we do this more in our prayer meetings. We've kind of lost this a bit. Lord, want my brothers and sisters here we go to pray for son, daughter, neighbor, relative that's outside of Christ that isn't saved. And so you say, well, we're uh, we're, in, we're in, the, in the delivery room where we're so-and-so is not yet born again, but they're, but they're on the birthing table. The Lord is at work convicting them of their sins, so you've got the birthing room in, in the hospital. And, and then you have the child care area in the hospital, the pediatrics ward, where you take care of what you hope is a good number of young Christians and, and, and taking care of them in their spiritual infancy when they're in need of milk and not meat. And and then and then as you, as you go on in things, there's the the therapy rooms where there's uh, issues of health that come up, and your oversight of people, uh, sin and iniquity and backwardness that needs to be corrected by spiritual medicine, sometimes spiritual surgery, helping people to put to death the deeds of the body. Um, there is, folks, the psychiatric ward in the hospital. Uh, there's mental illness. That affects people who are, who are part of the church and they are confused with different issues. It doesn't mean they're not Christians, it means they're in a full service hospital. And uh, there's even hospice care as you prepare people for death. So, Ru, so, when you think of it, the church of the living God, hospitals, the idea of killing a child in a hospital, I mean, it's repulsive in itself to think of killing a child, or it should be. But, but the idea of a hospital that's a place of hospitality and life. So, so the Lord uses the term household of God to describe the church. It's not a funeral home. God is displaying. He's the, he, folks, he's displaying his life in the world. Do you communicate life or death as Christians? You communicate life or death as a church, right? Right? The Church of the the Living God, and then the third part of the of the body scan, it is a pillar and buttress or better ground a buttress upholds something, a pillar upholds something, and that's the idea of both of these things. a pillar and buttress of the truth. the church upholds and displays God's truth to the world and and so if you've got the 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 living God who is at work saving a people and forming a family, what else is the church? And and this is amazing in itself. God takes children of wrath and makes them his children. That's amazing. God God takes dead ones and makes them alive. That's amazing. This is also amazing. And I want to suggest to you it may be the main reason why the church is so disrespected in our culture. The church is not a Fortune 500 company. The church is not IBM. The church is not a mom-and-pop business. The church is not a marketing agency. The church is not a concert hall. Whatever else the church is, it's a place that upholds before the world all the truths of what the Word of God teaches. Not just in its doctrine, but also in its life, in its commitment to truth. And folks, frankly, most evangelical churches aren't committed to the final authority of truth. We can all lapse into this. If it works, we'll do it. I don't see pragmatism as something God teaches in the Scriptures. How do you govern your finances? I mean, quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why, and we're not seeing others doing it wrongly. Our officers have said, if we expect individuals to tie their income, then the church should tie this income. So there's one practical outworking of wanting to live out of the truth of the Word of God, the fact that we want the, that we want the building to adorn the worship of God and be a reflection of God himself. When people say, wow, we don't want to think first of all the building but the God, the God who's provided this, kind of like our Lord, a humble facility but at the same time very exalted. In the way we handle finances, when we would in Franklin Square as people would come we would give them, and we'll begin doing this next year, annual reports. And and people would say, you don't mind me Having this annual report I so no, we have nothing to hide. But you got your budget in here. Yeah, we do. We don't have anything to hide. <laughs> and, and so thank the Lord that we have here, we have here as we've had, always been privileged to have, uh, people of integrity that handle the finances of the church. Why? Because the church is to uphold the truth of the Word of God before the world. As you've learned, the marks of the church, certainly faith, I mean, that's number one. The church ought to believe what Christians are supposed to believe. But holiness and love together in a church. When, when people in a church are written off because they don't look like or smell like the rest of us, that's not being a pillar and ground of the truth it's being a pillar and ground of bigotry when a church when a church is hateful toward those who are wayward in the name of discipline that that that's not pillar and ground of the truth of the meek and lowly Jesus it's a pillar and ground of their own pride so so and and, and now you, this goes back to the first part you see why you have overseers, not just not just the lives of the people. Is what we're doing according to the word of God? Is it done in the way the word of God would have it done? Are we illustrating what the word of God says? And in the service, that it, it's fascinating that in the church there's an office for service. Why? Because the church is about the great servant, the Lord Jesus. So so fascinating. Turn the pillar and ground. Again, not not Fortune five hundred company, not an advertising agency, not a co- the truth of the word of God that is fleshed out in this thing called church. Now, we've already you can't you can't miss this, okay? Because we're already seeing. When you think of officers; they represent the great bishop, the Lord Jesus. He's called the bishop of our souls. He's the the great deacon. He is the he is our elder brother. Uh, he is the one who is the living God, right? And he is the one who is truth itself. So, so we're we're irrevocably going to what is the most amazing statement of what the church is, and it follows 1 Timothy, or rather 1 Timothy 3 and verses 14 and 15. And notice that, that Paul puts these things together. It, it, you have to think, why is this here? He, he's... He's writing about how you ought to behave in the church, the household of God, the church of the living God, pillar and buttress of the truth. And then he says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, Paul talks about godliness in many places in here. He's talked about God. He says, let me tell you, not the secret, not the Agatha Christie mystery, but but mystery is something you wouldn't know if god hadn't revealed it and the mystery of godliness is what we call christ god who is the epitome of godliness in history becomes flesh and dwells among us as god and man that's never happened before that's the mystery of godliness And if you're not convinced of that, the mystery of godliness is, excused. the pun, fleshed out. He, Christ, or some versions have God, was manifested in the flesh. That's Christmas, folks. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. That's the God-man. That's why we atheists. How can we know God? So let me tell you about Jesus. Let's do a Bible study about Jesus, okay? Vindicated by the Spirit speaks of his resurrection. The word is justified by the Spirit. Not, Not in the same way we're justified by faith. But here, Christ could have been like any other martyr. He died on a cross. And in fact... Not just a martyr, but a criminal martyr on the cross. The last one you would ever think of as being justified, declared righteous, accepted. Easter Sunday, Jesus is raised from the dead, or as Paul would say, he was justified by the Spirit. He was raised for our justification God says that sacrifice is absolutely accepted. His perfect obedience and his blood atonement, he was vindicated, declared righteous as by the Spirit. He was raised from the dead. Jesus. Beheld by angels is the next phrase. And isn't it interesting that when God, when God does his particular works in history, he, you see angels... Around them and in particular ways, with Abraham, for example, as he was visited by the angels, one of whom may have been Jesus Christ himself, who came as a theophany. But, but you see the angels in the, in, the, in the Old Testament at particular times. How was Jesus' birth announced? By angels. Who were present at the resurrection from the dead? There were angels. Who spoke of his return after his ascension in heaven? It was angels and so he was beheld the, the angels even peter would say the things of christ were things that angels longed to see from the from the old testament so he was beheld by angels and proclaimed among the nations that's what you do you preach christ and him crucified and believed on in the world. That's missions. Jesus is believed on in the world. And of course, he was taken up in glory and his ascension into heaven. And of course, those things, the proclamation and believing in the world, even even when he was alive, the gospel was going at least throughout Israel. So, So the mystery of godliness, folks, is Christ. That's what it's all about. But I want you to notice something here. Paul's been speaking about the church. And the church is people who are in union with Christ by faith. They, they are one with him by faith. And we have all fullness in Christ. All that is Christ's becomes ours as part of the church. Now look at the text that way. You realize you are a continuous incarnation of Christ by the Holy Spirit, not uniquely, God and man, but you are made partakers of the divine nature. And when people see you and see us he's speaking of the church, they ought to see Christ vindicated, justified in the Spirit. Well, that's, that's the hallmark of being a saint. I, I rest in Christ. I trust in Christ. I am forgiven in Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ, and along with that, by the Holy Spirit, His righteousness, His right conduct, His perfection, is gradually imparted to you in what's called sanctification, so that by your declaration and your demonstration... You're saying, I'm right with God. I'm accepted with God. Well, you say, well, how are we beheld by angels? Paul says, be careful how you worship. This is why when he speaks of the woman's head covering, which is really her hair is a covering, he says you ought to have that, that order because of the angels. Okay? And even the apostle Paul says, um, you know, we're going to be judging angels. And, and uh, the, the angels are those who attend our labors. Some of us have entertained angels unawares. I don't know what that means, but that's what the writer of Hebrews says. The, why is that? Are you thrilled with your redemption, folks? Angels are. Fallen angels cannot be redeemed. They're irrevocably fallen. Unfallen angels don't need to be redeemed. The marvel of angels, things into which they long to look, is that God takes those made in his image who have horribly defaced that image by our failings. He gives his son for them. He saves them. He rescues them. He forbears with them. He transforms them. that's why the angels marvel at what god's doing in the world and notice it's demonstrated in the church now we don't preach ourselves scriptures are very clear and we don't call people to believe on us but as you're going to learn next week the church is about one thing it's called the great commission the mission of the church is the great commission its mission is to proclaim christ not just in preaching, but in life, as you learn here. And you call people to believe in Jesus. And if people wonder how significant that is, I can make it very simple. The one way you really change crime in our culture into civility is not by gun regulations. We're going to need knife regulations pretty soon is by changes of heart, in which a heart of stone that hates becomes a heart of flesh that loves. That's why, quite frankly, if governors really wanted to be serious about government, they'd start seeking out churches and saying, we need help by the gospel. Incidentally, that was done in Russia following the fall of the Soviet Union, in which for a time during Glasnost, There were the invitations to Christian schools to come to Russia to help form a moral base for the culture. And that was also true when we were invited to China. The reason was the communist officials with whom we met said, we know we need the moral base that the church can give. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how God... changed. But anyway... You don't preach yourself, you, you preach Christ and you make him known. And in that way, the world really is changed and taken up in glory. Well, in one sense, we are already seated with the Lord Jesus in the heavenly places. But but, quite frankly, this is speaking about funerals. Because you you live your life as a life full of Christ, a continuous incarnation. You live your life out of your acceptance in christ and you're going to be be like christ and with a with a sense that i'm being watched by the angels not in a snooping way but in an admiring way and in an awe-filled way that my work is about the gospel showing jesus telling people about jesus calling people to believe in jesus is that your life that's the christian life folks that's that's real health and wealth because you have Christ, and having him, you have everything. And taken up in glory, that's when you go from the halfway house of the church to the house of glory. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And see why the church is so important. And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't happen while you're in your pajamas in your bedroom watching a little bit of a church service. It's, it's a whole commitment, folks. Uh, to put it bluntly and, and again there 's places for live streaming don 't get me wrong, but you don 't live stream in heaven, you live there, Amen. you live in community, so you do it in the church in the in the gospel transformation Bible, which my dear brother Arthur Tomlinson recommended to me some years ago, there is a magnificent statement by the one commenting on on this on this text in First Timothy. So, he says, the great mystery of godliness, which is Christ and Christ in you. So, the call to godly conduct is not a challenge to pursue a self-generated bootstrap godliness. Rather, it is a call to live out the dizzying realities of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is the burning essence of godliness, its radiating nuclear core, so to speak. In his incarnation, death, and resurrection, the mystery of godliness was displayed before the universe. And by virtue of Christ's saving grace, all those who believe in him have been united to him so that they share in his godliness. His godly record becomes ours by grace, but in the thankful response of regenerated hearts, we also begin to live out personally, and I would add, and in the church, the godliness Christ embodied. Paul's call to godliness is thus both gospel-generated and gospel-sustained. If you have Christ, you possess and are possessed by the very mystery of godliness, and you are meant to live out that mystery. Isn't that great? Can you say, folks, when you see me or you see the church, I see a continuous incarnation of Christ. And people say, I see people who are really liberated. They, they, they genuinely walk as people who are, who are free of their guilt and shame and, and who, are, who are becoming something they weren't before. Do you walk with a sense of the unseen world that is seeing you? Do you walk knowing we've got a world out there that really needs to hear about Christ? Mm. And do you walk knowing that with each step you take as a pilgrim, you're one step closer to glory? That's the church. And it does it as a body, folks. So that's why we say, and and just to add to it at the end, this expression, and I'm convinced nobody understands. we read commentators trying to figure out what Paul is saying, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The best I think anybody can come up with is this. These, well, we'll use the illustration of the radioactivity, the nuclear core. That nuclear core that forms a new creation in the world that, that's, that's localized. Let me mix the metaphor it, here. They're cells, okay? They're living cells of what God is doing in the world. Those in new heavens and new earth will grow into a whole living organism in which not a square inch of that new heavens and new earth will show the mystery of godliness. That's just amazing. We call it amazing church. So what does that say to us? Two things. Number one, that's what the haven's about. Why is the haven here? Because this reason. Because the church is amazing and we want to reflect that. The second lesson is this you don't really go to church. You are the church. Folks, are you the church, the local expression of the great mystery of godliness, the Lord Jesus? That, that and nothing less, is what the church is all about and why it's so amazing. Let's pray. Now our matchless God, Lord, even before the foundation of the world, you decreed to glorify your son by making him a savior of fallen people so that you would display your manifold grace in ways that would never have been known were it not for fall. But Lord, you work in a fallen world to display the very mystery of godliness in Christ. Lord, may we chew on that, may we nourish ourselves on that, may we never forget that, may we remind ourselves of that, may we live out of that, being what we're meant to be, a house of God, a gathered-out body of the living God and pillar and ground of the truth as it is in Jesus Christ in whom we pray Amen.